0: Grace to and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God that we hear this morning is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 13 verses 1 to 9. And there were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. So far, the word of the Lord, sanctify us by your truth, O Lord, your word is truth, amen. When we were kids, I remember playing this game called Enchanted Forest, maybe some of you played it, maybe some of you remember it. You move your piece around the board and stop in front of a tree, and then you look under the tree for a a treasure, there was a treasure under each tree, and you're trying to find one particular treasure that matches the, the card. Uh, over in the castle. I remember being frustrated as a kid when I would finally get to a tree and that was the wrong treasure and get to another one and that was the wrong treasure as well. In our parable this morning, Jesus is similarly frustrated, isn't he, as he looks at the tree year after year and does not find the fruit that he is looking for. Our text makes it clear how often Jesus is disappointed, not able to to find that fruit. Unfortunately, the fruit that Jesus is looking for is a fruit that is hard to find. It is, in fact, a fruit that does not grow in the human heart. And the parable makes it clear there is no fruit until Jesus fertilizes and cultivates the tree. It's a fruit that he will never find until he himself creates the conditions necessary for it. What is this fruit that Jesus is looking for? It is, of course, repentance. What Jesus is checking the tree for and what he so often cannot find is simple repentance. The humble heart that does not seek to judge others or elevate myself on the basis of my own good deeds or works, but simply admits, as we just sang, chief of sinners, though I be and looks to Jesus for forgiveness. Both Jesus and the scriptures use this metaphor of a fruit-bearing tree, of bearing fruit in many different contexts. And just as you expect to find different kinds of fruit on different kinds of fruit trees, right? You expect one, tree to, one kind of tree to bear an apple and another an orange and a vine to, to grow a grape. So also, it's not surprising that in different contexts, that phrase for bearing fruit means different things. There are different kinds of of fruits that the scripture is talking about. For example, uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. In that context, he's talking about the fruit which grows from the Spirit, those attitudes of the heart which the Spirit creates in us as we live and abide in God's Word and grow in His grace. John the Baptist, when he came preaching baptism and repentance, proclaimed "Bear fruits worthy of repentance. In that case, the fruit he's talking about is the effect of true repentance in our lives. He's telling the people, don't just say you're sorry for your sins, but mean it. And if you mean it in your heart, it will affect the way that you act and think and talk. If you stole and are truly repentant, you will try to give back what you stole, will you not? Or Jesus himself, when he's talking about false teachers, says you shall know them by their fruit. And there, of course, The fruit of a teacher is his teaching. And so the fruit of a false teacher is false teaching. We know their fruit because we compare it to scriptures and it is contrary to scriptures. Or we know a good teacher because we compare it to scripture and it is correct. We are so used to thinking about uh, bearing fruit, I think, as the the fruits of faith, the fruits of the spirit, like what Paul talks about, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., that if you're anything like me anyway, you probably hear this parable and without thinking about it, just assume you know what fruit Jesus is talking about. Oh yeah, Jesus is looking for believers who produce good works. He's looking for a fruit-bearing tree. But the context of our our sermon text makes it clear that Jesus is looking for one fruit and one fruit only. In verse 3 it says, Unless you repent. That's the context of Jesus calling men to repentance. And And again, the context is clear that there's one difference between the tree that is cut down and the tree that is not cut down. Again, in verse 5, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. <clears throat> My wife is pretty particular about her apples. When I do the grocery shopping, I have two lists. One is a list of the groceries and the other is the apple list. Which apples it's okay to buy. And she, You know, if I come home with the wrong apple, she'll eat it and she won't complain anyway, but I try to find the The ones that are on her list. Jesus is very particular about the kind of fruit he is looking for, isn't he? He comes looking for one fruit and one fruit only unless you repent. Any tree that doesn't bear this fruit is cut down. Scripture is clear about this as well. Within the context of what it is that Jesus is looking for in our hearts, Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Jesus says, I am not coming expecting you to be the new Paul, converting the whole world. I'm not coming looking for you to be the new Mother Teresa. I'm coming looking for a contrite and a broken heart. Joel 2.13, the prophet says to the people of Israel, Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. One fruit that Jesus is looking for, that we rend our hearts in repentance. And Paul proclaims in Acts 17.30, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repent. Jesus is looking for repentance. And this is why Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, which we hopefully pray every day. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He is teaching us to acknowledge. Now you can't pray that without acknowledging that you are a sinner and looking to Jesus for forgiveness. He is teaching us that we might grow that one fruit that he's looking for and what does jesus do when he doesn't find that fruit he creates it that's the only way he's ever going to find it in our hearts isn't it if he cultivates that tree that cultivation which he does through his word and through this prayer which we ought to pray every day In our text, the Jews come to Jesus with this account about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed. And apparently, it looks like he had them killed while they were sacrificing in the temple. That seems to be what it means by their blood was mingled with their sacrifices, that they were there offering the sacrifices when Pilate's soldiers came and cut them down so that their blood flowed in and was mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus responds with a similar example. Well, what about those... Uh, whom the Tower of Siloam fell upon, and they died. Now, in some ways, these accounts are similar. You have uh, a number of people who are killed, and it raises the question as to why. Why did God allow this to happen? But in other ways, the accounts are very different. and It's those differences that help us to understand what Jesus is trying to get through our thick skulls in this parable and in this account. One difference is <clears throat> that the first account that was brought to him was something that a man did, right? Pilate sent soldiers to kill these people. Whereas the second account that Jesus points to is a natural is an accident, maybe even an earthquake uh, created that or caused the tower to fall. We don't know for sure. But it wasn't a a decision of man. No doubt uh, those who brought this account to Jesus, who draw his attention to it, no doubt they thought that Jesus would be righteously indignant. Look at how evil this man Pilate is. Look at what a terrible thing he did. But instead of Raising, rising up in rebellion against this evil governor, Jesus says to them, well, what about this incident? There's no one to blame there, and yet people still die. Jesus calls them to stop looking to blame others and to repent themselves. We have a fascination with the evil that other people do, don't we? We love to tell stories about how great other people's sins are. It makes us feel better about ourselves. We love an opportunity to be righteously indignant. Look at what a terrible thing they did. Jesus didn't come looking for the fruit of righteous indignation, did he? He didn't come to this earth to raise an army of people who were indignant at the evils and the injustices of this world. He came looking for the fruit of repentance. Jesus is seeking repentance of our sins and teaching us that when we see others doing evil, it's not an opportunity to ignore our sin and and cry out against theirs, but it's a reminder that we are no better that we also are sinners. It's a call for us to repent. Another difference between the two accounts is that uh, the first one is Galileans who are killed, and you notice how that's really emphasized uh, by those who bring this to Jesus. They could have easily said, those whom Pilate killed, right? Or uh, the men, or those people. They could have used lots of different names for these people, but they emphasize the Galileans, whom Pilate had killed. Jesus responds with the Tower of Siloam, which was in Jerusalem, and so probably Judeans who were involved there and who were killed. The uh, Judeans, the men who brought this to Jesus, were people who tended to look down on Galileans. When bad things happen, we similarly have a tendency to try and convince ourselves that, well, they deserved it. That they were asking for it, that they got what was coming for them. Or that, for some reason, it happened to them, but it would never happen here. Such things happen in the cities, but they don't happen out here. Such things happen in Eastern Europe, but they would never happen here. We try to convince ourselves that... We are better, so we don't have to worry about it. But again, Jesus says, you, you want you wanna to talk about what happened to the Galileans? What about what happened here, right here in Jerusalem? You're not any safer than they are. These things are a call to you to repent. Jesus is not looking for the fruit of false security based on a false sense of superiority, is he? He's not looking for the fruit of trying to find what's wrong with others he's looking for the fruit of repentance when bad things happen we ought to recognize that we are sinners the third difference is that in the first example the Galileans were worshiping they were supposedly doing what God had instructed them to do what God wanted them to do bringing sacrifices to the temple in Jerusalem and this is kind of a problem for the Jewish people, because, well, why would God allow them to be killed when they were apparently faithful and good Christians? Jesus responds in the same idea. Do you think they are worse sinners? Do you think that there must be some secret hidden sin that you don't know about, and that's why God allowed such a, a judgment to fall upon them? No, it's not the case. We do not uh, repent, and Jesus does not call us to repentance, because if we repent and go to church, we will be kept safe from all the sufferings of this world. When bad things happen, they sometimes happen to Christians as well as to non-Christians. When bad things happen, when we suffer, when others suffer, it's a reminder to us that we live in a sinful world because we are sinners. People who are in prison are always trying to convince other people that they don't really belong there, right? I'm here unjustly, unfairly. And we often have a similar attitude. It's unjust, it's unfair that I should have to suffer, that I should be a part of this sinful, evil world. All the sinful, evil things that happen are a reminder that we are in a sinful world because we ourselves are sinners. In short as jesus says unless you repent when we hear about earthquakes and famine when there is disease and war jesus calls on us to repent of our sins our human nature is to try and find meaning in things of this life right something bad happens it must mean that god is judging them if this or that thing happens maybe it's a sign from god in our text in a sense jesus says that yes there is meaning in everything that happens but it's all the same meaning it is all a call to repentance because we are sinful people every tragedy every evil action every death every disease every war ought to remind us we need to repent of our sins jesus is waiting patiently isn't he He's waiting patiently for that fruit of repentance. In the parable, he waits for three years looking for fruit on the tree. And in real life, Jesus preached and proclaimed the gospel and called men to repentance for three years. For three years, he traveled throughout Judea and Galilee teaching about the kingdom of God and calling men to repentance and finding no fruit. In fact, at the end of that three years, he found death on the cross, he found people who killed him rather than repent of their own sins. You know, what does Jesus do after three years of finding no repentance? He doesn't cut down the tree, but he fertilizes and cultivates it. Because he could not find repentance in the hearts of men, and it's not surprising that he didn't. Our hearts are not a place where repentance grows, he creates the conditions necessary. For such repentance. After his death and resurrection, he sent the apostles out to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins through his death. Luke 24:46. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. In order that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. When Jesus does not find repentance that he seeks, he proclaims it, he sends out his apostles to create it, he does it in our hearts as well. This is what we mean when we pray, forgive us our sins. We are praying that because we know our hearts are sinful places where repentance and God's word does not grow, that God would forgive that attitude and cultivate our hearts as he cultivated that attitude fig tree that god would change our hearts, so that instead of looking for reasons to assume that we're better to look down at others to talk about the sins and evils of others we would have hearts that humbly confess our own sins and rejoice in that salvation that christ has given us as we just sang chief of sinners though i be jesus comes seeking repentance in our hearts As well, and when he does not find it, we have his gracious and merciful promise that he will create it in our hearts. Forgive us, Jesus, and lead us by your word. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus